if you are a wine lover like myself and you got to have it for your bachelor viewing parties, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I found the personalized, the most personalized wine club that has amazing wines and exclusive perks called First Leaf. As a First Leaf member, you get to try new wines and I'm guaranteed to enjoy them because they got to know my unique preferences. I answered a few questions on their website, this quiz about the flavors you like, how often you drink wine, Monday nights, if you prefer red, white, or rosé. And based on these, it gives you this amazing selection of wines tailored just for you. And when you rate those wines, it gets even more tailored, a la, you know, uh, Netflix. Just play into the algorithm. My algorithm got me both rosé and white wine, Mm. my favorites, and they were so delicious, and I've gotten to enjoy them with many of my, my friends. Look, being part of the First Leaf Wine Club also has perks. As a member, you get access to their incredibly helpful wine concierge. So if you want a wine pairing advice or you want to talk about the wines in your box, you can always talk to one of their experts. Plus, you get member-exclusive pricing What's in the box? on every order. Join the club today and discover new wines you'll love with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash roses to get your first box. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash roses. Tryfirstleaf.com slash roses. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums, as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. Uh, it's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums, and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day oh. program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact... Mm. They have a tighter skin guarantee. 
If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. This is the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues. And this is our first Tuesday episode after a season is over. We got no game that happened last night. So what are we going to talk about? I mean, the season is over. Just kidding. It's never over. When the game ends, when regular season play concludes, a new season begins. It's called the preseason And if you are a prospective player out there and you're wondering what you should be doing in between seasons, what you should be doing to potentially get on one of the next seasons, this is the episode you're going to want to listen to. We're going to go through everything that a player should be doing in the preseason, taking them through every round of pre-casting, casting round one, casting round two, what all that is like, what they should expect, and how to maximize their potential when trying to get in a, uh, a new season of the show, basically, which is something I think a lot of people don't think about. We're going to tell you how you build your brand, how you figure out who you are and how you can project some version of that into this augmented character of yourself that will be on the show. And this will enable you to go as far as possible to achieve your goals in game, whether they be ring, whether they be crown, whether they be sand. The first step, obviously, of being a player in the game is getting in the game. And that all starts in the preseason. So let's begin with where all players begin. That idea. I could play this game. I could be on this show. That's where it starts for literally Everyone, even people who get nominated by their friends or people who get reached out to by producers, there is that moment where they're like, huh, I could be on The Bachelor or Bachelorette, as the case may be. So what happens? That moment occurs. What is your next step? This is pre-casting round one, research and discovery slash branding. (laughs) Every person is a brand. You might not realize that, but that is the most important place to start for this. The first step for any prospective player is you're going to want to do some self-reflection and discover what that brand might be. You might not even be aware of the brand that you're already projecting, as we have seen the case with a lot of people who have sent us their Instagrams. I think there's... (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes there can be a gap, and that is part of why you're going to want some outside help. But you're basically going to want to look at your own qualities, your own skills, figure out, start figuring out what kind of storylines you could have if you are in game. And what kind of character are you presenting? 
Every time a player goes into the game, they will ultimately be relegated to one of 12 archetypes, which we're going to get to in a moment. But you have to be consciously aware of that going in. So what you're looking at are these things in your actual life, your background, where you're from. Could your hometown be augmented into some kind of character trait through exaggerated accents or costumes, quirky eating habits? You're looking at your family, your friends, your coworkers, what your job is. Could any of these things play into the type of character that you'll be presented as? What kind of weird skills or hobbies or activities do you engage in that might make for good television like Madison Pruitt and her basketball skills? Her basketball skill became one of the huge tenants of her brand. She used it in-game, on her hometown, and she also continues to use it parasocially with these little videos of her dribbling two balls at the same time that have gone viral. Little videos? One of them was a paid Under Armour commercial that had 70 million views. I meant little, like, short. (laughs) I am not trying to diminish her parasocial power. She's the TikTok queen. That was a piece of her preseason game was I'm this basketball champion. She was able to take that not only from her preseason identity all the way through her identity in game as a player to her hometown where she took PP <laughs> to her dad's arena, schooled him in fucking basketball, and now she's still doing that on TikTok, making fucking money at it with these giant pieces of spawn con. So all the work that you do in the preseason isn't just to get you in the game. Some of it is actually going to be very beneficial in long-term goals for spawn con or your kind of further perpetuating whatever your character is throughout the entirety of your run in the game, which could include Paradise. It could include Crown. You could become Bachelorette or Bachelor. But you're also looking at things like your emotional strengths. Are you funny? Are you good at giving advice? Are you the life of the party? Do you have a lot of fun facts or have you done some kind of heartwarming community service? These pieces of your personality that are positive that could be utilized or augmented in the game. You're also looking conversely at the weaknesses. Have you endured some kind of trauma that is going to make it difficult for you in one area or another? Or can it be used to inform a storyline, creating pre-planned moments, raising lowering walls? You're Getting all this shit ready in the preseason. You're already starting to think about how you might be able to use these things to build your character. In emotional weaknesses, you're also looking at your phobias. What are your real phobias? If you don't have any, what fictional phobias could you manufacture to give producers an easy and obvious way to exploit it on a date? For instance, I would come in and I would say, I have a phobia of massage. I don't like to be touched. And then I would be given the sexual yoga pose date with Gita (laughs) spirit guide one-on-one which you secretly like because we know your experiences at Burning Man and the orgy tents hey (laughs) wow okay clues this doesn't need to be a takedown of pace case (laughs) takedown you openly admitted that on one of our last episodes I just said they had made an announcement I didn't say I was participating (laughs) Right. You just said, I am closely following the Orgy Tent Instagram account. That's all. I don't, just for entertainment. Okay. It is the Orgy Dome. It's not. Okay. Sorry. Whatever. <laughs> God. Not part of Clues' brand, obviously. 
this would be one of his phobias, the sun, for yes. an example. <laughs> no, my phobia would be the night. I would say, I don't like night dates. Don't send me on any night dates. And then I would get only <laughs> night dates and it would be fucking great. I hate the darkness. Do I not put squirrels. me in dark. Don't put me near a fucking squirrel or I'll lose my mind. You could be the new Caitlin Bristow with birds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that brings us also to quirks, just like we're talking about. Do you have any abnormal compulsions or activities that you engage in that might entice producers to include it in the tag of an episode or to use it as a little storyline or something like that? Do you have chronic hiccups that has been used in the past mm -hmm. or sleep talking, bizarre workout routines, any kind of little things that you can start to think about, like, how could I use this to get screen time? These are all parts of building that brand and kind of creating an idea of what you think you might be like as a player. That is step one in all of this. An example would be clues and his magic tricks constantly doing little card tricks to camera that he learned on tiktok that's a quirk i i would fucking have decks of cards everywhere in the mansion there would not be a moment i wasn't doing a fucking card trick even if i'm on a one-on-one -on -one date i'm just doing you them just constantly as i'm talking that would be good because you have that sound the shuffling sound which would just recur as it haunts my nightmares currently when you do it yeah. So it would haunt the show. <laughs> and it would make the editor's job virtually impossible. Yeah. <laughs> That's something you don't want to do. We want to give the editors as clear a directive as possible. But let's just get into the archetypes. There are 12. Just like other sports rely on teams made of different positions, each playing different but essential roles, so too does The Bachelor. You have players relying on these separate identities with skill sets and associated tropes. And it's the producers can force players into one of these 12 roles, certainly through edits or even through what they're setting up in game. But the player has a lot of control over this, over which one of the 12 archetypes they're going to fit into. And this initial thinking about all these things from your background to your strengths and your weaknesses can play into pre-designing an archetype for yourself. You should be thinking about which of these 12 types of player will I be when I go in game? And you should build a strategy around that. This, again, is all happening in the preseason. And if you don't choose, they will choose for you. So it is much better to choose your own identity than run the risk that you're going to be forced into one of these, say, the villain or the fool, which are two which people are frequently forced into, sometimes without them knowing. So let's run them down. These are the 12 archetypes that exist in the show. Number one is, of course, the villain. We all know what the fuck that is. Very rarely does it work out well for the villain, but sometimes it does. One of the villains we want to highlight is Courtney Robertson. She was the winner of season 16. Ben Flanick gave her that ring, even though she was a villain basically since episode one. She destroyed the competition and openly talked about in her itms gameplay competition and how she was <laughs> head and shoulders above all the other players and she walked away with the ring this is the only time the villain has been that dominant that she won the whole the thing the villain is the most important archetype for the producers in this game they don't have a show without it um 
And whether the villain is more of a subtle villain or whether they're manipulative or wild and bombastic, like Courtney Robertson, where you're straight up saying in your ITMs, I'm going to take, I'm going to win this game. I'm going to take down these other girls. I'm not here to make friends. All of these fall under the category of villain. And they're often portrayed in a negative light. They are often accused of being 4TWR. And the strongest villains are like Courtney. They're able to compensate for this terrible second audience game with an amazing first audience game, which we saw with both Courtney Robertson and Corinne Olympios. And Tira Lacazzi. Season 17, The Golden Boy, Sean Lowe. Tira Lacazzi was a villain who had the greatest IFI game we maybe have ever seen. There was not a moment on screen that she was not playing an IFI. Basically, that's what it seemed like anyway. She did some of the most impressive IFI work I have ever seen. All of it fake. She faked falling down the stairs on a date when Sean Lowe was coming to the mansion to pick up Ashley Frazier for her one-on-one date. Tierra Lacazzi fakes falling down the stairs, forcing Sean Lowe to interrupt picking up Ashley Frazier to go check on her. All of the other players hate her immediately. They believe it's fake. And then later on on a group date, she fakes hypothermia when none of the other players who jumped in the exact same water she did seem to be really affected by it at all. And she then, of course, gets rushed off to medical treatment and goes into um, a hotel room where Sean Lowe has to come check on her once more, garnering one-on-one time. Villains are, the good villains are expert at doing that, turning the tables in their favor. But as you're saying, at the cost of their second audience game, the other players will start to see through this and start to not enjoy their presence. Yeah, it's the ultimate Faustian bargain. The producers are going to give the villain the screen time they want, but they're also, that player is going to be destroyed for the pleasure of us, the fourth audience. And by the way, when we are giving these examples of the players who most exemplified these archetypes, this is something that we're calling hero players, where essentially in the preseason, you should be watching as many seasons as you can get your hands on. They offer a ton of information about these different tropes and archetypes that are most likely going to be used to develop stories. And these offer these case studies basically for how different players handle various situations. And for players entering the game, you should choose hero players to emulate so that you can do it both mimicking their style in their parasocial game, in their Instagram. Say you want to be a free spirit, you would mimic the style of a Caitlin Bristow. What does her Instagram look like? And you would also mimic the style of how she com- enters in-game, her limo exit, etc. Also, that preseason research is incredibly important because it allows you to see how the producers force players into some of these roles, especially the negative ones like the fool and the villain. So that if it starts happening to you in game, you can be like, oh shit, I remember they did this to Courtney Robertson. Mm -hmm. They're doing it to me. They're trying to make me a villain and you can potentially pivot so that that winds up not being the case. On to the next archetype, which I just mentioned, the fool. 
This is someone you never want to be. It's going to get you a little bit of screen time and it can bring you back to a paradise for sure. But if you get a fool edit, you ain't getting that ring. You ain't getting that crown. What you can easily get if you play it well enough, though, is sand. And there are two different types of fools, as we've been talking about. There are people who choose it and there are people who it is chosen for them. And often you can pick out a fool because they choose to do a tot as their limo exit. They'll come out of limo. They're in a full body costume. They're already not seeming that serious. They don't seem like this sexy, beautiful woman. The <laughs> It's off, off kilter. It's not taking the game seriously. It's conveying an attitude that this game is a joke to you. And therefore, your attitude about it is foolish. The same can be said for players who adhere too strongly to a manufactured catchphrase, waboom, or Mm -hmm. ABC, always be cam. Things of that nature where it's like, you're just fucking around here. You're trying to make a joke out of this. That is a chosen fool identity. Yeah, it's pretty much... You're pretty much choosing Bachelor in Paradise or Bust right off the bat. You're going to forever be known as Shark Girl or the Sloth Girl. (laughs) And you're essentially negating any long-term play. There are exceptions, though, with Tots. We've got Jojo Fletcher coming in in a unicorn head, which she removed immediately, revealing a beautiful woman. I would argue... That although the unicorn head of Joe, 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 Joe Fletcher was foolish, she was not a fool. Because like you're saying, she took it off immediately to reveal like, oh shit, it's this beautiful woman underneath. And she never dipped into fool tone again. She used that immediate shock of foolishness to be like, who the fuck is this? And then it was serious play from that moment on. There are... Other players who are dragged into this archetype completely unaware by producers and maybe they find themselves being assigned perhaps a ridiculous costume on a group date where everybody gets a role. Some people are the sex kitten or the princess. This is the professional wrestling date from Ari Leyendijk season 22. But Mikel gets the elderly lunch lady role and producers will choose certain people in for these roles in order to get certain reactions out of them. The same thing happened on PP's season when they had to do the telenovela and Kelly Flanagan was cast as the elderly grandma character to some mm-hmm. other players like attractive maid or I forget what else they had, but Hot they had like neighbor. some. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kelly actually did a pretty good pivot there and, made some making out scenes for the grandma, which is a great thing to do if you do find yourself in one of these situations. Another way that fool edits are made is when people's words are basically edited down to their basic syllables and put together for some sort of comedic phrase they never actually said. This is called Frankensteining or Frankenbiting. One of the most successful fools from recent seasons was Alexis Waters, who wore the shark costume for her tot, insisting it was a dolphin. While she was eliminated in week five, she did have a run in paradise. She's got 355K. 
pretty good for a brief stint in Beb. The third archetype is the foreigner. We're looking at Christina Schulman. We're looking at Maggie Tariq. This is an archetype based on an identity that necessarily requires a player to have grown up in or have come directly from a country that is not America. And very usually, it will be accompanied with the ability to speak a non-English language as well. Often they will do that Aloha limo exit to demonstrate this knowledge. They can highlight it in other ways, such as how they dress, their references and phrasing, specific kringles, as well as language. Should be noted, while the foreigner can get you a decent run and can wind you up on sand, no foreigner has ever won the ring or the crown in The Bachelor. Canadian doesn't count. Canadian is not a foreigner. (laughs) We're talking about people who are from non-American-ish countries, like Shulman was Russia and Maggie Tariq was Ethiopia. Yeah, Christina Shulman was one of the most successful foreigners, in part because she had this intense backstory, told Nick Vial, one of the darkest PTCs we've ever heard, um, about growing up food poor in Russia with an abusive mother, including an incident where she ate lipstick until she got adopted from an orphanage and moved to the U.S. She was able to also, while she was eliminated in the round of six, she was able to dominate seasons four and six of Bachelor in Paradise, now has 719,000 Instagram followers. Pretty solid, but again, is the most successful person so far. I would argue that some of her success too came from postseason play because she did that stagecoach circuit she got in with the other players Mm -hmm. well it's all part of the game arguably the game exists after the game well there's like i think like stagecoach is part of the preseason game when you come off of bachelor or bachelorette you're now in the preseason for bachelor in paradise and stagecoach is a part of that um maggie Tariq is the most recent example of this growing up in ethiopia moving to U.S. on a diversity visa lotto. And she runs a nonprofit that provides shoes to girls in her hometown. So she was able to combine this foreigner archetype with this community service branding. Um, It came off extremely for TRR. She's campaigning heavily for disaster relief in Tigray as well. Didn't get that many Instagram followers, though. 41.7K. By the way, technically, you don't have to be from another country to try to use this archetype. We had Brie Barnes experimentally in season 23 did a fake Australian accent out of the limo to Colton Underwood. But she didn't last much longer after she came clean. The next archetype is the professional. We are talking about Rachel Lindsay. We are talking about Andy Dorfman. These are players who don't just have jobs, they have careers. And their lives in some way have been dominated by them for a long time. I would put Joe Park in this category as well. Doctors, lawyers, business people. I would put Riley Christian in this category as well. These are players whose identities are in large part 
defined by whatever their career is. And for the professional, a piece of your storyline can be that you had to give up that career at least for a moment to even appear in game. And then obviously once you become an influencer, you give it up forever. (laughs) Yeah, this play is called a sabbatical. If you are able to tell The Bachelor, I left this important job and that's your playing game. It makes you seem very for TRR. Uh, Especially in Bachelor, you often have crown contenders using the professional archetype because they're basically representing this modern woman looking for love. You have Andy Dorfman as a lawyer, um, Rachel Lindsay. Rachel Lindsay, I would say, is the pinnacle of a professional hero player. She got the very first intro package of her season, showing her working as an attorney. Got the first... She was the first black player to get the FIMP, first black player to make it to hometowns, fantasy suites, and to wear the crown. Married a ring winner. Has just under a million Instagram followers. And I would argue she's still using the professional archetype in her current life. She hosts a million things. She's like Mm -hmm. constantly working. And it's that attitude of strong work ethic and seriousness that really lends the professional archetype a huge advantage. They're almost the opposite of a fool. Everything a professional player does will be taken seriously. By the way, another player, another play that a professional player can use is if they want to play a late season, make me stay, they can make up this decision that they have like, oh, I need to resign my job if I'm going to stay here. So it's, you can force the bachelor's hand uh, when there is some high value rose on the table and you want to make that, that ultimatum. It's a risky play, but it makes them more invested when they give you that rose. Our next archetype is the good girl. And we've seen many good girls throughout the history of our beloved game, starting all the way back in season one with Shannon Oliver, who had one of the <laughs> best fantasy suite dates I've ever seen, where she rebukes an attempt at a kiss and then tells Bachelor Alex Michelle, fuck you, I'm not going in the fantasy suite. <laughs> But, yeah, she preempts uh, everything with him. She says, I know you're going to have questions that I won't even answer. Kisses that I won't do. <laughs> it's fucking fantastic. And that archetype that she set up so long ago has echoed through the game almost every year to give us players like Becca Tilly, pl- modern players like Madison Pruitt. Madison Pruitt is the most successful player to utilize this good girl archetype. Her main brand tenets were Christianity and an unrelenting competitive nature, especially in the realm of basketball. But she talks about her virginity and her faith throughout the season, including, I think it was Fantasy Suites, where the producers had all of these shots of her stroking a curtain with her promise ring (laughs) in order to physically demonstrate that narrative. Um, Was it a curtain? I now believe it was a dress. I think it was her final dress hanging up. Really? I don't know. Mm. Yeah. At any rate, the good girl is predicated on this idea of strong moral conviction and in some way an aversion to what the idea of the fantasy suites even is. Many good girls have used PVCs, personal virginity cards in the past, but that's not Mm -hmm. always the case. That can be a part of this. It doesn't necessarily have to be. What it really is about 
is this idea that I have these standards that I will not compromise on, even though I'm in a reality show dating game that demands I compromise these <laughs> values. Yeah, it is a very hard and strong 4TRR game. They often perform blandy limo exits. It's part of conveying that simplicity and authenticity. And they're often virgins, but they don't have to be. And those can be different types of virgins. You can have a Heather Merton, a Kiss virgin. You can have a Sean Lowe, Born Again virgin. You can have Never Been In Love, Matt James, Never Had a Boyfriend, Never Experienced Climax. (laughs) And good girls often get rings or possible first sand in paradise. Madison Pruitt was able to get an early meeting of the family date on which she went to Peter Weber's vow renewal and delivered that infamous Fantasy Suites ultimatum in which she told PP that she wouldn't be able to get engaged if he was intimate with other women. Becca Tilly was on both Crystal's and Ben Higgins' season. She didn't play her PVC until Fantasy Suites week with Souls and ended up runner-up was so well-liked, she came for a second tour on Ben Higgins and placed fifth. She teamed up with JoJo Fletcher in a dynamic duo best friendship, and when Fletcher was ultimately victimized, Tilly paired up with her in the parasocial game, and they still post photos together today. And Tilly has 1.1 million followers, despite never wearing the crown. And now we move on to the sixth archetype. The free spirit. We are looking at a player like Caitlin Bristow. We are looking at a player like Lucy Aragon, who you might not remember. Her literal job title was free spirit. And she walked around (laughs) without any shoes on. And she engaged in a hallmark of the free spirit player, voluntary nudity, multiple times on her season. There's voluntary nudity plays. That is a hallmark of a free spirit. Another hallmark is an outrageously sexually charged standee limo exit like Caitlin Bristow did or like our new crown Katie Thurston did with the vibrator. Often free spirits will have a very strong second audience game, frequently encouraging the rest of the house to party or engage with a bunch of mansion free play antics that they initiate Occasionally, they can be accused of playing the game 4TWR, that they're not ready or serious for an engagement, but successful free spirits, they can deflect these attacks with this focus on their genuine brand, being true to themselves. And again, Caitlin Bristow would be the hero player for all future free spirit players to consider entering the game with the raunchy one-liner standy. She did a voluntary nudity play on their group date. She jumped in on toast and added in her own jokes. It was kind of like, it was her show. When you're watching Chris Souls' season, that's like, that was my only takeaway. I was like, Caitlin is actually the star, though. And she placed third, immediately rewarded with the crown, has a successful scrunchy line podcast, wine line, date, one dancing with the stars. She's right on the precipice of Two Million Club and is going to be hosting. 
I mean, you can't get more successful in this franchise than Caitlin Bristow. So anybody who wants to do a free spirit storyline should study her work. And the seventh archetype is one that producers cannot force you into. You must come into the game with this archetype. It is, of course, the single mother. We are talking about Emily Maynard. We are talking about Fimp Rose recipient Chelsea Roy. Single parents have advantages and disadvantages. Benefit is you're the only one who can have contact with the outside world. Often the producers let the single parents FaceTime their offspring as long as it's on camera. And having that conversation with the child on FaceTime gives a powerful emotional advantage. It's kind of like a PTC because the single mother, kind of like the professional, is leaving something very important at home. It garners a lot of sympathy and has a very strong implication that the player is for TRR because they've left their kids to find love. But it's not statistically that beneficial. Only one player in history has won the crown who has kids in Bachelor. This was Emily Maynard. It basically gives the lead a built-in out. At some point, if the lead doesn't want you around, they can just say, look, I know it's very difficult for you to be here more so than other players because you have your kid at home. So I think it's best if you leave. I don't want to waste your time. The not wasting your time excuse is applied to the single mother again and again and Almost again. Almost every time. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason people send single moms home. But it also gives you a very good chance of making at least a mid-level run because the lead also doesn't want to dismiss you purely because you're a single mother. That will look bad. Mm -hmm. So a single mom comes in with an almost guaranteed week four kind of threshold. And then whatever you can do beyond that is kind of up to you based on all of your other kind of gameplay mechanics. But the single mother is one that we see from time to time. And again, that's one that uh, (laughs) you have to in quotes choose. Also single mother's very usually have PTCs baked into why they're a single Mm -hmm. mother. It's either going to be a heartbreak PTC, potentially a death PTC, which we've seen from time to time. I mean, Emily Maynard, I mean, she's the most successful single parent in our beloved game. She had a very intense PTC that coordinated with her package deal play that her race car driving husband was killed in a small plane crash. And then she found out that week she was pregnant with his child that she had. Um, She was the only single mother ring winner and only single mother crown. But came off extremely for TRR. She did a lot of tier play herself. She inspired tier play by other players. I mean, it doesn't get more for TRR than that when you can get tears out of the other players. Do you remember what they did to her on Brad Womack's season? Yes, yes. On that group date? Her husband was a race car driver who died in a plane crash. On the way to the racetrack. And on one of the group dates, the activity that they fucking did, that the producers made her do, was drive a NASCAR race car around a fucking track. That was one of the most sinister things I've ever fucking seen in the history of this game. Until season 25. (laughs) Well, I mean... No, even by by today's standards, I think, because that's targeting one player and being like, we are going to fucking destroy you. 
the what happened in yes. season 25 was just like well let's throw in five players let's see who gets fucked up by it it was more of a general kind of chaos producer strategy this shit was a targeted emotional assassination this is more of a victoria fuller chase rice type scenario we got to put her on the race car group date which you know what she played very well and ended up getting a, a lot of screen time and a lot of uh victimization play uh, by the way one notable single mother chelsea roy was the first single mother to win the fimp and she was able to pivot away from a villain edit by using her package deal for trr defense as well as a heartbreak ptc which was just incredible in much the same way that the professional can kind of avoid a full edit the single mother also comes with this level of seriousness and sincerity that is unquestionable all you have to do is play the package deal and any kind of attacks that are being levied against you by either the producers or the other players basically melt away because you have this kind of pedestal from which you can just gaze down upon everyone else <laughs> i had a child i'm a very serious person period amanda stanton also notable single mother she has 1.2 million instagram followers despite never wearing the crown and her kids are in the 30K range. Pretty good. Moving on to the eighth archetype, we are talking about the bumpkin. This is Raven Gates. This is Raven Gates' friend, Tia Booth. The bumpkin <laughs> comes from some small town somewhere in America, a rural existence. And coming onto the show for them is as much about opening their eyes to the broader world as it is about finding love. In many cases, the bumpkin has never been out of their hometown. Sometimes they've never been on an airplane. And all of that is played into their character of this idea of just luck and gratefulness for being able to be in the game at all, for being there and getting to see all these things and travel the world and kind of broaden their own understanding of the human experience. It's also kind of recreating some of the appeal of the foreigner archetype, but you're from the continental U United States. But basically, you're leaning into your region through accent, customs, dress, and phrases. Bumpkin players often are the colorful narrator by incorporating and exaggerating these regionalisms in their ITM descriptions of things. They don't even need to be real. You can just make this shit up. Um... Often on hometowns, they do the redneck adventure date, like mudding. I feel in some ways I'm a bumpkin, having grown up in the <laughs> outskirts of Dallas, Texas. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what would I, I would be probably a free spirit. Yeah, I think you are. I think you're a free spirit. <laughs> you can start your bumpkin archetype right out of the limo. That's what Raven Gates did. She's from Hoxie, Arkansas, and she made Nick Vial call the hogs by yelling, Woo Pig Suey. <laughs> Famously. <laughs> she was ultimately the runner-up and trained Tia Booth. She also got engaged to floater Adam Goshchalk on Bachelor in Paradise. But she's got 1.2 million Instagram followers in the Million Club. 
Tia Booth basically copied her <laughs> her play play by play. She entered with a Kringle handing Ari a tiny hot dog, adding, please don't tell me you already have one, or please tell me you don't already have one, to not only represent that she was from this rural town in Arkansas called Wiener, but also to challenge Lyondike's masculinity and initiate a subtle chemistry play. Booth has 1.1 million Instagram followers today. It's a very solid strategy. Both Booth and Gates were colorful narrators. Our next archetype is the weirdo. We are looking at players like Kendall Long. We are looking at players like Ashley Salter. Now, Ashley Salter and Kendall Long are two different types of weirdos. Kendall Long came in (laughs) knowing she was going to be a weirdo. She had her taxidermy hobby that she put in her intro video. She had her ukulele playing that she put in her intro video. And of course, at least the taxidermy became a part of her identity as a player within the show when she took Ari Lyondike on a date and they did fucking taxidermy on rats and made them like kiss and shit. Ashley Salter was a seemingly non-weirdo until she got in game. And the situation that she found herself in caused her to kind of seemingly have a fracture with reality. She was talking to things that weren't there, talking to vegetables, inanimate objects, picking things off of trees, and generally playing a game that seemed like she was in a different space of reality than everyone else. And as a result... She was actually awarded the first ever on-camera invitation to Paradise by Dork Lord Harrison at the Women Tell All of that season. And Kendall Wong, obviously, wound up being third place on her season, went on to a successful run on Paradise, relationship with Grocery Store Joe for a long time, hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers. I think she's in the 700,000 range. So it can be a beneficial archetype, but the weirdo is basically defined as a player who engages in activities that are off the beaten path. These can be hobbies. These can be things that you're doing in game, like Ashley Salter when they went on the uh, paintball zombie shooting date. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never fucking forget that. She was relentlessly just like pumping paintballs into somebody laying on the ground. The entire concept of them like, oh, we're shooting zombies with these paintballs. That was lost. She didn't care. She wanted maximum carnage. She took it very seriously. (laughs) It was almost as if she thought these were real zombies and they were defending themselves from death but basically it's just engaging in these kind of strange behaviors either through hobby or play in the game it can also be strange dialogue strange interactions with other players things that make people say she's not all right and on crystal season with ashley salter caitlin bristow you might remember her even had an itm where the phrase was uttered bring on the weirdos And then they cut straight to Ashley Salter. This is an archetype the producers are very aware of. They cast for it. They try to push people in that direction. But yeah, this is an archetype that you can completely make up yourself if you want to do it. I mean, obviously, you can't really make up a career. Like we had Chantal Newton on Brad Womack's season was a funeral director. And her occupation was played for laughs the whole season, including... Her hometown, which was a take your bachelor to work hometown where she showed the funeral home. Uh, But you can make up all of these things. You can talk to things that aren't there, do experimental face play, 
Maybe you get in bodies of water with your clothes on, befriend a pool animal, mispronounce a word repeatedly, work out in a bizarre way, etc. You can <laughs> really, the world is your oyster with the weirdo. And these things will often get screen time. And now, before we move on to the next archetype, please enjoy this word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro. FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel because right now you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Another archetype that always gets screen time is our 10th type, the pageant queen. We are, of course, talking about Hannah Brown. We are, of course, talking about Kaylin Miller-Keys. And every pageant queen we've seen come through our beloved game, many of whom wear their tiara and sash as a tot at some point in the game, sometimes as a limo exit. The pageant queen is a literal pageant queen. And we know that the American pageant system, we're talking about Miss USA, Miss America. These are feeder leagues. These are like the minor leagues to The Bachelor. And as it stands now, there is a growing movement within the Miss USA community where half of them are like, I'm doing this to get on The Bachelor. And the other half are like, I fucking hate The Bachelor. That is, if you're coming here to be a pageant queen to get on The Bachelor, you're 4TWR for the pageant world. There is now a rift Whoa. within pageantry. I've I've started Bizarre. kind of doing some digging into the pageant world a little bit in terms of how it perceives The Bachelor. And it's a another pumpkin like yourself doing internet research. It's very fascinating the pageant queen road to becoming a player in our beloved game. It's impeccable training because it teaches you how to mm-hmm. compete against other players in a single winner tournament of attrition where you have to use many of the same skills that you're going to have to use in our beloved game. You're going to have to answer questions about your life, what you want out of it, what you want out of the world, how you would change the world if you could. You're going to have to appear in a swimsuit. I don't know if they do that actually in Miss America anymore, but I think Miss USA still does. You're going to have to certainly look your best at all times and mind your P's and Q's. And that group competition against X amount of other women is a hallmark of this as well. And there's even some degree of you're all in the same dressing rooms when you're getting ready to walk out on stage. That idea that you and your competitors are going to be kind of sharing living space together, not Mm -hmm. that pageant queens live in the same house or anything, but you certainly have that same kind of dynamic when you're backstage preparing for the to walk out on stage for any of these pageants as well. Yeah, I think that Another element that comes with this is the very strong branding. That is something that you prepare to be in pageants as well, as well as being the most media trained, performing the best before the cameras. And we have seen some of the most successful players in our game come from the pageant world. Most 
importantly, the rivalry turned dynamic duo of Hannah Brown and Kaylin Miller Keys during Colton Underwood season. Uh, Brown wore a pageant crown in her intro package, although she did enter the game with a blandy. Good girl of her. Um, Miller Keys was Miss North Carolina 2018 and entered the game wearing her Miss North Carolina sash. She performed a flawless taut standy, telling Underwood, hopefully I can get another title, revealing the back part of her sash to say Miss Underwood. Literally pageants translating into Bachelor perfection. And they played up this dramatic pageant rivalry for half the season before ultimately and skillfully squashing it before they were forced into a two-on-one. And we know how successful these two players were. Brown placed seventh, but went on to wear the crown. Has the most Instagram followers of anyone of all time. And Miller Keys was eliminated after hometowns, but teamed up with Instagram powerhouse Deanie Babies for BIP season six, where they dominated, and now they're a very successful Instagram couple. Miller Keys is at 1.4 million. Deanie Babies at 1.3. Also notably in season five, there was a pageant queen named Mandy J. Jeffries. And during her hometown date, her mother showed off. They had an entire room of their house, which was the pageant room, which was this haunted chamber filled with ribbons and awards solely dedicated to her pageant achievements. So it's baked into the show since the very beginning. And it was said by her mother to then-bachelor Jesse Palmer, who was an NFL quarterback, that Mandy J. would make a great NFL wife. The next archetype is our 11th of the 12. This is, of course, the princess. And the princess really started way back in season nine with Erica Rose, who not only showed up in a tiara, but wore it throughout the season, along with a little kind of shawl-slash-cape, And constantly talked about how rich she was and how no one else was and said literally, I am a princess ready to have my prince. These other players are not. He wants to turn them into princesses, but I already am one. This was echoed through time with Corinne Olympios, obviously Victoria Larson we just saw. But the princess is based on this idea that you are above other people, that you are regal in some way. That can be attitudinally. As with Victoria Larson, it can be financially, as with Corinne Olympios, as with Erica Rose. But it is this notion that I sit above other people, that I am royalty already, and I deserve to be treated like that. I deserve special treatment, basically, above other players. And you see princess players do this all the time. Corinne Olympios fucking skipped a goddamn rose (laughs) ceremony to take a nap. It doesn't get more princessy than that, in my opinion. Yeah, with both of those players, there's a high degree of focus on consumerism, outward aesthetic, uh, shopping, jewelry, brand names, etc. And there is, it may seem like pageant and princess archetypes are very similar, but pageant players are much more likely to play a very strong 4TRR game. But the princess is much more likely to play a not-here-to-make-friends strategy, will often sacrifice her second audience game with these attention-seeking behaviors, and often quite happily trade and villain edit for screen time, as we saw with Olympios. I mean, Olympios is a hero player in multiple archetypes, villain, 
and princess because she is just iconic. And free spirit to some degree. For sure, with her voluntary nudity plays. Uh, Her intro video was basically mocking Elle Woods and Legally Blonde. She introduced her nanny Raquel, which was a very important part of her princess storyline. She literally has a servant as an adult. And Raquel appeared in her hometown date. And once you set up this iconic figure Raquel early on in the season, people want to meet Raquel. People want Corinne to last through hometowns. And then the final archetype is the dynamic duo. This obviously is two players merged into one identity in the course of some season. We have never seen a dynamic duo come into the game from outside of it. At this point, they've all been formed within the crucible Mm -hmm. of the game engine itself. But some examples are Becca Tilly and Jojo Fletcher did this. Ashley Spivey and Ashley Hebert did this. And the power of the dynamic duo is it allows you to always have a teammate on a group date if they're on the group date with you. And it can allow you in some cases to even omit yourself from whatever the group date might be in service of this dynamic duo ship. It also allows you to be doing stuff back at the house. If you're always doing a prank or putting together some activity for the other players to do with you, but you are the central focus of it. Those two players, this friendship that has been built through the course of this experience, that will get you screen time. People in Bachelor Nation love to ship dynamic duos. They ship their favorite player with the Bachelor, but often just as strongly they ship friendships and they want to see people team up as friends it comes off extremely for TRR because you're so focused on your second audience game. You're like, I don't even know who The Bachelor is, but I just, I found love with this person. I remember there was actually a mishap because, who was it? Jasmine and Alexa from Pilot Pete season said, we found love on The Bachelor after all, and all these people thought they were coming out as a couple, but they just meant their dynamic duo. Um. Very importantly for Dynamic Duo is you can combine your social media following in the postseason parasocial game. So you can get those benefits. JoJo and Tilly are still posting together today. Um, But in-game, duos will often engage in these mansion free play antics, including taking bubble baths together, working out together. And one of my favorite Dynamic Duos, the first one we ever had, season 10... Two blonde innovators, Aaron Parker and Susan Anderson, became best friends on camera. Their friendship got them screen time. And during an athletic activity triathlon date, they performed their own version of a protest by walking and swimming slowly through each leg of it together, holding hands and openly mocking the competitive nature of the date. Baldwin, the bachelor at the time, questioned whether they even wanted to spend time with him because they liked each other so much. It was beautiful. It was a short-lived dynamic duo, but it really shown on screen. But that's it. Those are the 12 archetypes. And so once a player has done their initial self-reflection, who am I? Where would I fit? What is my archetype going to be? And they've chosen their hero. Now it's time to do pre-casting round two. This is your social media preparation. And we have talked 
on this show many times about what your Instagram should look like. You have to scrub the Instagram. You're going to get rid of any pictures of you with an X. You're going to get rid of any pictures that are a little too racy, that have overt political beliefs expressed in them, that have any kind of bad language, that have any impression that you are anything less than a crown-ready player. Because getting in the game is one thing, but that Instagram is... It has to convey the idea that you could be a bachelor or a bachelorette, if that's ultimately what you want, obviously. We recommend doing a professional photo shoot, selecting some locations that are likely to pop up in the show. Hot tubs, horseback riding, going on a boat, being in the ocean, taking a step out of a helicopter. (laughs) You know, these things that you know the producers are likely going (laughs) to shoot scenes with you doing these things, mimic them. In professional photo shoots, put them on your Instagram so that the producer's job becomes easier. You're going to want to embrace the phrase, kill your darlings in this process, in your basic social media scrub. No matter how much you love a post, if it doesn't fit with this specific strong character and brand you're trying to portray, delete it or archive it. This is going to be most pictures with friends, family, food, landscapes, inspirational quotes, exes. Basically anything that's not the player alone, you can occasionally have another person or more than one person if that is if that image is going to help convey one of the main themes of your brand. And if not, lose it. I mean, we saw with Michelle Young how you can curate an Instagram down to basically nothing and still be successful. Basically, the only pictures you want that aren't you are pictures with family members who are going to be potentially in your hometown or in some way relevant to your story. And that's it. Maybe a best friend. Maybe. Maybe. But if you look at, you know, your hero players' Instagrams, it's basically just them. It is basically just tons of photos of just that person. And by the way... If you don't have a large Instagram following already, if you're less than 10K, we highly recommend starting from scratch. This allows you to perfectly curate it. You don't need to delete all of your likes. You don't need to delete all of your tags. Um, Victoria Fuller was famously outed as having modeled for a clothing line with shirts that said White Lives Matter after posts surfaced in which she was tagged wearing the shirt. As a result, she lost her Cosmo cover that she won on the group date. And it is much easier to remove the possibility of this type of occurrence than to deal with the fallout. And especially if you have pictures of yourself from high school, your teen years, get rid of all that. The only thing you want to be conveying in your Instagram is exactly what you look like now and what you will look like as a player in our beloved game. And this, by the way, this scrub has only become more important. Your, the uh, Bachelor Nation community does deep dives, deeper than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> I mean, we're watching the entire fallout of one player not doing enough of a scrub, Rachel Kirkano. Kirkano. I don't know how she could have scrubbed that, though. She could have gotten rid of those likes. Yeah. Possibly, but like the pictures of her at the antebellum ball, there's no way to get rid of that. Right. 
I mean, if she had an Insta- a new Instagram that didn't link to any of her friends, it would make it a lot harder to follow those friends. And that see is what true. They had. There are ways to make it less likely. And then you also want to take a look at your bio on your Instagram. What should that say? We recommend something at least vaguely Christian, if, even if it's just a cross or the word believer or something like that. That seems to do well. But you don't want to have anything, again, that's overtly political, that is crass in any way, something generic about living life to the fullest, seeing where the adventure of life takes you. Those kinds of things are fine. But you never want to have anything very overtly pointed in one direction. You certainly don't want to have a Venmo account or anything like that. If you do have a charity link up there, make sure that is a widely accepted charity that doesn't have a political leaning one way or the other. And just make it kind of as general as you can, but positive and upbeat. The most successful Instagram player of all time, Hannah Brown, her bio reads, I'm still Alabama Hannah. Hannah, I'm still Alabama Hannah. Next line, and Jesus still loves me. Next line, new YouTube video with a link. It's short and sweet. It defines her brand perfectly. Uh, another thing that you want to do is probably change your Instagram handle to be your name so that you, so that people can find your profile more easily when they're looking up bachelor players. It, you're, all you're trying to do is shorten that amount of time between them looking it up and then pressing follow, which by the way, neither of us follow, (laughs) but um, you should change that as early as possible to avoid having a broken Instagram link included on player lists. These are lists of everyone's Instagrams that circulate pretty quickly after Reality Steve and other Bachelor Nation journalists publish them. So now you've got your Instagram uh-huh. all loaded, ready to go. You've scrubbed it down. You've got your bio. You know what kind of archetype you're going to be doing. You are ready to actually try to get cast on this show. So what do you do? What are those steps? Well, there are a few different ways that you can actually take the initial first step. There's, of course, the application. And this is the most common way people try to get on the show. I think we don't have the actual stats on this, but just kind of from what I've gleaned, this is the worst statistical way to get on the show. The best statistical Mm -hmm. way is, of course, to be cold called by the producers. And the only way that's going to happen is if you have a good Instagram, which we've already just talked about. But then we also have the open call where you can just show up to a mall or wherever the producers may be. They have these from time to time. They haven't had it, obviously, with COVID. But prior to COVID and once we get past COVID, they will be doing these again where you can just show up and see a couple of producers and they'll ask you questions. And then there is, of course, the recommendation. This is how Nick Vial got into our show as well. And I'm not sure exactly which one of these is best other than the the cold call. If producers reach out to you, again, that's huge. But if you don't get that, I think probably the recommendation is the best way to go. Have a bunch of your friends nominate you, which is can be done through the website, the same one that you would apply to normally. We don't have statistics on this, but I would bet being nominated by a friend is better. Um even better if it's a family member and you can come up with some cute fucking story like my brother wants to get married so he's nominating me because I'm the older brother he really wants 
me to get married first or something like that. Um, I By the way, Jazzy, the casting director in her interview with Reality Steve, said that she would approach people in bars too. So one post-COVID <laughs> strategy, yeah. But it's important to remember that this is the first moment where you're actually going to have some producer looking at your shit. And so from this moment forward, for TRR must be conveyed. If you are applying and you fill out the essay that they have, every question you're answering, for TRR has to be your primary fueling idea. So if it's saying, why do you want to be on the show? It's whatever reasons you can come up with. I need to focus on finding love now. I focused on my career too much, whatever it may be. The underlying reason has to be, I need to find my person now. All of the answers to that. You can have some humor, you can have some jokes, but it has to be serious at this point that you want to go on this show only for love. You never mention Instagram. You never, if you are trying to be an actor or anything in the entertainment industry, that ain't what you're saying. No. You change that to something else completely. You can only ever express from this moment forward to the producers that you are there for the right reasons. And by the way, something that we should include in the Instagram scrub is you should change, you should unfollow anything that could raise a red flag, unfollow political leaders, <laughs> etc. Um, and also, you should unfollow Game of Roses. I as much as I hate to say this as as I love our, our followers, but unfollow <laughs> Game of Roses and Bachelor Clues if you are actually serious about applying. And then just send us DMs <laughs> asking us to coach you and I'll be happy to do so. So if you make it through that round, if you've reached out or they've reached out to you, you're now going to start casting round two. This is producer interviews. These interviews used to take place over the phone. They now, I believe, all take place over video conferencing, this initial round. And this is where the producers are going to start to ask you these questions and see what your responses are like in real time. They're going to see you on video, what you might look like on camera, and they're going to be able to gauge how genuine and real you are in these answers. So you should definitely do some practice interviews with a friend or whoever you can get to do it and wear the same outfit you're going to wear. Make sure you're comfortable in that. You should definitely look in this interview like you're ready for the show. Not a cocktail dress. I'm not saying that. But you want to look as good as you can on camera in this first interview while also remaining casual. Yeah, you should definitely practice on camera too to see what you're doing. Um, and you can notice if you're doing things like that. Um, If you're leaving a lot of those in, try to cut those out. You can notice if you're doing any facial tics, things that are distracting. You want to take out anything that makes you not super compelling on screen. And producers themselves have given the advice that a player should dress in quotes like they're going on a date. So that's what you want to try to look like for these things. And again, it should also be tailored to your archetype. A person who is going for a good girl role would probably wear a different outfit than a free spirit, for instance, or a princess. And then if you make it through this round of video interviews, some players are going to be flown to Los Angeles where they're going to have to do in-person interviews. Much of this is similar questions, but now they're going to gauge how you are in person, which will give them some idea of how you might be in the house. It's a very similar process, but 
the stakes are obviously raised because you're going to be in Los Angeles now. You're that much closer. So at this point, you just want to try and like calm the nerves down and start to deliver a performance. This is going to give you that first feeling of what it's going to be like to walk into the mansion when producers are around and watching you and you're actually physically in the environment. And then a lucky few get cast. You get that phone call. You're going to be on the show or at least you're going to be in a player pool that you might be on the show. (laughs) We are going to sequester you. And... Now, the kind of final phases of preseason begin. You're going to have to prepare your friends and family for hometowns. You need to sit them all down and have a conversation, develop a strategy about what that is going to be like. Maybe even develop a code word so that if you are late in the game, if you're, you know, in the first round of playoffs, but you don't want to wind up with this person, you want to shift it to make a crown run, you should have some code word that you can tell your family at dinner that lets them know go into crazy family mode. Tank this for me so that I will be victimized and be able to get the crown. We saw this with Desiree Hartsock, most famously with her overbearing brother. But if you do want the ring, or even if you want to make a run to finals and then tank it to get the crown, you need to prepare your family to have familial walls. You need your dad or your mom to be skeptical of the process. Then you need those walls to be lowered when they have their one-on-one time with the bachelor. And then you need to tell them to glow you. And then you need to tell them to give that blessing to the bachelor. And that's going to give you a perfect hometown. Another thing that adds to a perfect hometown is, especially if you're going for crown, you want to have, just as you've been doing a colorful narrator role throughout in your ITMs, being fun and descriptive and everything, having a colorful family as well should help. Uh, Adding to your backstory, family traditions. Sometimes there's lighthearted toasts or games or a family-specific Kringle that families give to The Bachelor. Anything quirky that can make the edit, this also will make the hometown have a vibe of, we love this family. We want this family to come back. That is part of what that person's crown season would look like, is you would get those characters returning. And then you also want to tie up any loose ends you got around in your hometown. This is exes. This is enemies that you might have in that hometown (laughs) anybody who can bring a skeleton against you in the game you want to make sure your relationship is right with those people or you want to build a defense for that skeleton you want to be prepared in the event that they're going to bring an ex-boyfriend back on the week of your fantasy suites or something like that if you know that that is coming you just want to kind of take stock of anything from your past that might be able to come back to destroy you and either take steps to nullify that or to put a defense in place in case it does happen so you've prepared your social media you've prepared your family you've prepared your brand are you ready to go in game clues not even fucking close (laughs) because this is a professional sport might i remind you and that means you have to be in peak physical condition not only are you going to have to appear semi-nude multiple times during the show, you're going to have to engage in hardcore athletic activities. That is now a staple of every fucking season. It might be boxing. It might be football. It might be exotic martial arts, like on Colton's season. Colton, yeah. You're going to have to do something physical. So you might as well 
get in that gym, get as strong as you can fucking be because there are going to be physical challenges that you will have to meet in the course of the game. And if you can pick up a little eye-hand coordination that maybe you didn't have prior, play some volleyball, play some basketball, play anything that requires you to do an athletic type activity just so that it's not the first time that you might be doing that when you're doing it in game because you're going to have to do it in game. Physical, Physically preparing, it lets you have the ability to focus on the game. And then you're not focusing on, I'm losing breath, I'm getting tired, I'm being defeated on these various scenarios that are being handed to me. If you are adequately physically prepared, you can just focus on your relationship with The Bachelor as you're training to do this weird martial arts thing. You can make jokes. You're not just like, am I about to pass out? And part of that physical preparation, I think you know what I'm about to say, is... (laughs) Learning how to do a certain physical activity. It's called the hoochoo. Your face. Your face is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing face play. You just lost yourself. (laughs) That was some bumpkin face play right there. (laughs) Thank you. Find a friend who is at least six feet tall and have him stand there as you hoochoo him again and again and again until you get it right. You want a fast approach, you want a clean mount where your legs are clearing his hips and your arms are clearing his shoulders. You want a fantastic cling, which hopefully is a double elbow lock around the back of his neck, double ankle lock around the back of his waist, multiple kisses, and then you want to practice those dismounts so that you can stick them every time, maintaining physical contact with the bachelor as you do, as well as eye contact, and transitioning your cling into a double or single handhold as you walk away to wherever the date might be. Practice your fucking hoojus. You don't want your first hooju to be on camera. Oh, you God. don't want to be learning no. while you're in the game. Clues, what hero players should people study if they're learning, if they want to perfect a hooju? There is only one, Kelsey Weir. <laughs> there have been many good hoojus throughout time. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, I would say look at Melissa Rycroft's hooju as well. She's the other one I would talk about because hers were, they were out of this fucking world. The things she did in those hoojus, they weren't like high, high level Olympic style hoojus like Kelsey Weir, but the flourishes she put in were like, I've just never seen anything like the artistry of her hoojus was incredible. So if you can find a way to make a hooju your own, like Rycroft did, she had this kind of leg flare that came from the, her cheerleading experience. Please do that. Make it your own. But certainly look at Kelsey Weir's hoojus, specifically her first international hooju was fucking, I, I just have never seen anything like it. You want these to be highly athletic. You want them to be perfect in every way. So now that you've perfected your physical body and your hoojus, there are... A group of skills that, should you have time, we recommend that you practice. Number one being dancing. Because dancing is this visual gesture that can't be copyrighted, it doesn't need to have a perfect sound, it can be done in any environment, and it presents well on camera, it will often be included in the edit. It's on countless group dates, countless one-on-one dates, every single private concert after a one-on-one rose is given out. It's an interesting and chemistry-building mini-date and, again, requires no equipment. You can do this in the moment. Slow dancing provides this easy kiss lead-in setup as well as casually breaking the touch barrier. I cannot reiterate enough how 
useful of a skill this is to bring into game. And something else that you've got to prepare to bring into game is written material. It's not just about getting physically in shape. It is about getting mentally in shape and having some memorized pieces of material that you can use in various situations. You are going to have to do an artistic performance. Now, it could be something like on Bachelorette where they're making clay pots or whatever, doing some kind of art piece, but then they have to talk about how that art piece reflected their PTC. In most cases, you're going to have something where you're on a stage delivering a monologue, singing a song, doing a stand-up routine. Fucking write these things. Don't be trapped in the moment (laughs) of the show where you're like, oh shit, I've never done stand-up comedy before. What am I going to do? And then you just bomb. Take a moment. Write these things out. Come up with a funny little song. Come up with a poem. Whatever you can possibly do, have this shit pre-made. Take it in with you. Hide pieces of paper in the pockets of your clothing that have these things written (laughs) on it. What we recommend in order to simplify this, because there are so many different types of these artistic and public performances, is that you come up with three stories. And then the first story should be comedic and reveal an embarrassing moment while painting a vivid picture of the player's life outside of the game and at least one theme of their personality. The second should be dramatic and build to a crescendo by ultimately revealing a PTC. And the third should be emotional, center around the bachelor and the qualities the person, the player likes about the bachelor and specific events in their love journey. So if you prepare these three different types of stories, you can apply them to a poem, to a song, to a stand-up, etc. And the first two, the comedic and the dramatic ones, can be done entirely preseason. The one about the bachelor you can probably maybe do some of it preseason if you know who it is, but you should be journaling about it as your journey continues and updating that one. And also, write out a few toasts. You're going to be giving the opportunity to do some toasts, and those always get on camera. All you have to do is make up a couple about finding love or this fun experience or whatever it may be, but write these fucking things out. A toast is two or three sentences max. Have them ready to go. And if you prepare them, again, just like preparing physically, you can be in the moment, you can be mindful, you can interact with the celebrity guest, or you can interact with The Bachelor instead of focusing on coming up with this material. The material should be done. And another thing we recommend is learning how to put your makeup on very fucking quickly. You should have a routine where you can get your makeup on in five fucking minutes because this will happen during your season. You're going to be put in a situation where the bachelor comes in to do a home invasion. You might even be asleep when it fucking happens. And the producers are going to tell you, you have five minutes to get out the door and go on this date. It happens every season. Be ready for it. Now, it's not guaranteed that every player is going to be on that group date or that one-on-one where this is required, but it's going to happen to somebody. So it's good to have that prepared and it's a helpful skill no matter what date you're going on or do a brit nielsen and just always sleep in your makeup (laughs) by the way when you have this five minute makeup routine you should also have a five minute outfit planned out you should have a go-to outfit prepared for the basic different types of activities so that in case there is a home invasion date you also have that ready to go and this is a very simple one bring a watch And always wear the watch. 
you are not going to know what fucking time it is otherwise. The producers are going to try to keep you in this bubble where you're not talking to anyone. You don't know if it's day or night in some cases. It's kind of like what they do in casinos in Las Vegas. When you walk in, fucking hours pass by and you're just hemorrhaging money at the tables. You don't know what the fuck is up. They're pumping oxygen in. (laughs) Exactly. So wear a watch because you can do that. You can put on a watch as an accessory. Make sure that it has the right time and always be looking at that shit because if you know how many hours are passing when certain things are happening, that is going to give you an advantage in what we all know is a game of time. Then you can allot a certain amount of time before performing a steal. You'll know when the bachelor is most likely to be finishing his dates. And if there's a potential opportunity for a knock-knock, you're going to have an advantage. Other important things to bring. A journal. This is the most important item for a player to bring. It allows them to recount exactly what has happened in the game, specifically the in the player's relationship with the bachelor. You're tracking that for your third story of the trilogy. And you're also tracking everything else in game, other people's friendships, rivalries, etc. Beyond that, take meticulous notes of everything that happens literally every day. When you're journaling, that should be an hour every night where you are writing down everything that has happened. Producer manipulation, what all the players are doing, where you're traveling to. And if you do it well, that's a New York Times bestseller the day your NDA is Or... You come on gore after your Ides of March and reveal all. Make drawings of the other players. It should look like a Guillermo del Toro notebook. (laughs) And then this is kind of an experimental one. You can bring in some presents. Get those ready in the preseason. These can be presents for The Bachelor. They can also be presents for the other players. But it should be germane to this brand that you've set up. We We saw a player bring a bunch of gifts for the other players and I was like that's a great move and then she was like twist it's because they all suck or something like that it wasn't actually a 4TRR thing but I would like to see it in game 4TRR giving a present to every other person it's great for your second audience and it will be extremely disarming because it's unexpected you're also going to want to bring any special talent equipment you have if you have a special talent Say you're pageant trained, you already have that special talent locked and loaded. Bring those things. Don't rely on the producers. And above all, remember you're playing a game. You have to fucking remember that. Even if you want love, even if you want the ring, you have to win this 10-round game. Keeping that in your mind, starting in the preseason drilling yourself to remember no matter what's going on no matter what friendships i form no matter how close i may get to the lead no matter how much the producers may tell me they're my friends i must remember they are not and i am playing a game and i am playing it to win and that's what all this preseason preparation is truly about it's about going into the show being better prepared than anyone else and that's going to set you up for success because many players are going in at this point with some preparation, certainly, thinking about what's going to happen in the show, et cetera, et cetera, but not like this, not this detailed plan <laughs> of here's who my archetype is, this is what I'm going to convey, this is what I would do in certain situations, I'm physically prepared, I'm mentally prepared. Most players are not doing this. The best ones at this point, I think, are like your sluice, like your Pruitt, they have just watched so many seasons that it's in them. 
They've been indoctrinated into the idea of the game. They've seen so many iterations of it that they just kind of inherently know what to do. But, oh, you know what? Maybe Madison Pruitt did all this shit. Mm, <laughs> I'll give her say that. Michelle Young. I think Michelle Young prepared all this stuff. I do too. Michelle Young is the first one that I think is like, okay, she's on it. And I think we're going to see this more and more. She prepared and hopefully her if you're familial out- walls. She prepared her Kringles. And hopefully if you're out there and a, a potential player in the upcoming seasons and you're listening to this, please take this information. Please use it. We think it will only help elevate overall gameplay. I want to see every player doing this ultimately, you know. Side note, in physical preparation, you should also quit drinking and don't quit and don't drink in game or at least pretend to drink in game because that will also help you be more in the moment on your game. Yeah, drinking is out of the question as far as I'm concerned. You should definitely pretend like you're doing it. You should be tricking everyone there that you are drinking. And you can even use drinking to excess as a... Yeah, Celeste did it perfectly, the fake sips. But definitely get yourself ready for that. If that's something, if, if partying and drinking is kind of something that you're doing socially a lot, you might want to take a month before you go in game to just detox out of it and to get used to not doing it especially around people who are because you're going to everyone there is going to be yeah. drinking. And if you're not, that's a hard thing for you to do. Just fucking get used to it. It's only two months. And then as soon as the season's over, you can get fucking hammered again. But when you're in that game, not a fucking drop. That's going to give you a huge advantage. You'll be able to make better decisions. You'll be clear headed. You won't be physically exhausted. I watched season nine. There was a player who fucking literally passes out on a group date in a beach chair and all the other players make fun of her. You definitely don't want that to happen to you. Uh, speaking of forced fools edits. But that's it. That is our breakdown of what you should be doing during the preseason, which is happening now for Michelle's season. And technically it's happening for bachelor season 26. We obviously don't know who that bachelor is, but any players out there who are listening to this, who want to get on bachelor season 26, do these things. This is literally what you should be doing right fucking now. All of it. If you want a more tailored strategy to try and get in the show, DMs <laughs> are always open. I am looking for players to coach. Thank you all for joining us for this overview of our breakdown of what you should be doing in the preseason. We hope that it is helpful and we hope that we are coaching some real winners with this one. <laughs> Hopefully this is helpful and join us on Thursday for this week in Bachelor Nation where we're going to be going over all of the Bachelor Nation news, the parasocial plays, the screams from the pit, state of the world, et cetera, et cetera. There's some huge news going on. I don't know if you saw it, Pace Case. Matt James is tweeting about NFTs that he's going to sell. So my prediction from a month ago has come true that Bachelor players will be selling NFTs. I did see this because 300,000 people sent it to us. <laughs> yeah, big news. Good work again, Clues. Thank you. And just to let everyone know, our schedule during this off season is going to remain the same. We are going to have an episode every Tuesday, which will be something like this, I believe, where we're kind of talking about the game mechanics and what we can expect from the next season and what players should be doing during these different phases of the game. As well as player breakdowns for Katie's season. The last two weeks, right before Katie's season airs, we are going to be doing breakdowns of all the players on her season and giving our predictions based on their Instagrams of who we think are going to make deep runs, who might be bachelors. And of course, we'll still be doing every other Monday a Patreon episode like the one 
that came out yesterday where we went through the top 10 takeaways from Matt James' recent season, which actually ended up being a top 15 takeaways or something because there was just <laughs> so much insane shit that happened that season. But We will also be continuing to do our weekly live stream on our Patreon as well at 7.30 Pacific time. PM. So join us for as much of it as you like. We love to have you. And before we go, as always, what is the Dwab at? It has been 6,937 days without an Asian bachelor. Praise be our beloved game. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then If you are a wine lover like myself and you got to have it for your bachelor reviewing parties, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I found the personalized, the most personalized wine club that has amazing wines and exclusive perks called First Leaf. As a First Leaf member, you get to try new wines and I'm guaranteed to enjoy them because they got to know my unique preferences. I answered a few questions on their website, this quiz about the flavors you like, how often you drink wine, Monday nights, if you prefer red, white, or rosé. And based on these, it gives you this amazing selection of wines tailored just for you. And when you rate those wines, it gets even more tailored, a la, you know, uh, Netflix. Just play into the algorithm. My algorithm got me both rosé and white wine, my mm. favorites, and they were so delicious, and I've gotten to enjoy them with many of my my friends. Look, being part of the First Leaf Wine Club also has perks. As a member, you get access to their incredibly helpful wine concierge. So if you want a wine pairing advice or you want to talk about the wines in your box, you can always talk to one of their experts. Plus, you get member-exclusive pricing What's in the box? on every order. Join the club today and discover new wines you'll love with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash roses to get your first box. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash roses. Tryfirstleaf.com slash roses. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I, I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle, 
Uh, it's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven day oh. program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by get this 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact, mm. they have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven day routine, tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code game. That's fiber skincare. Sweaters, candles, the dreaded bathrobe. Unfortunately, Mother's Day gifts can be a little predictable and boring. That's why an aura frame is the perfect gift to mix things up this year. It was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. My mom loves hers. I'm throwing pictures of Skabooli and our cat up there. She's laughing. She's texting me. He's so cute. I wish I could meet him. It's the next best thing to, to meeting my cat, really. You know, I love that it was so easy to set it up. I've recently learned I'm not good at uh, building things. <laughs> and I need an easy install. And oh. this only takes about two minutes to set up the frame using the Aura app. Aura frames are Wi-Fi connected, come with unlimited storage, so you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. She'll be grateful it's not another sweater, and she'll love the frame to see more of you. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A, Frames.com. Use code ROSES at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 